Every time I make money, I have to give it to a lawyer. Why am I earning anything? I didn't want to go to university. I didn't want to be told what to do for another day of my life. I married a 24-year-old. I was till 43 when I met him. Like, who does that? I'm somebody that if I get the right offer tomorrow, I would walk straight out with my, my suitcase. I can't believe you're even here. You've had this face at 19 days before this podcast. When you showed me the pictures, I was like, that is mental how you're even here today. I came out of reality TV because I was so sick of people talking behind my back. You know, my mother said the day they stopped talking, darling, that's the day you worry. Although I got to where I wanted with that huge business, I put my face on the side of London buses. I wanted everyone to go, oh my god, look what Caroline Stanbury built. I was burnt out and miserable in the end. Success isn't measured, or well, not by me, by how much money is in your bank account, because I've been up and over now. Money doesn't, you know, hold that much importance to me. I manifested this house. I manifested the life, and I knew I wanted that life. So many people come up with excuses why they can't take that first step. If you don't take it, you'll never move. And we are back with the Frankie Lee podcast. And today I've got you an awesome female entrepreneur who's absolutely sent it in all forms of life. This woman is an investor, an entrepreneur. She's on reality TV now, and I'm sure there's a lot of pressure she can tell us about that. Caroline Stanbury, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Frankie. I'm really excited that we've been able to do this. Yeah, well, we got it. we finally got it done. I mean, we've been going back and forth on this one for quite a while now. Yeah, I was traveling, you were traveling. It's been crazy town. I've been in America for housewives. It's just crazy yeah. and all that filming. I want to. I want to start. I mean, we can go into the reality TV bit later on down the yeah. track. But I really want to. I really want people to understand you more as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and you know all the success you've had off a camera rather than on a camera. Because I think that is where people really get some epic wisdom from you. Probably not have seen as much information about you as as the reality stuff. Yeah. So let let's just go back to the early days of entrepreneurship for you and what first got you into entrepreneurship. Um, well, I fell into it sort of in my very early 20s. I always knew I had been in boarding school, which is very common as you're English. So I'm sure you know, I was I left at six and came out at 18. And I think when you've been uh, conditioned, as I call it, as many years as I was, I knew that I didn't want to be I didn't want to go to university. I didn't want to be told what to do for another day of my life. Um, and anyone that knows anything about British boarding school, you get woken up with a bell at 6 a.m. You get, um, you know, you all march down to breakfast. You're every told when to eat. You're told when to play. You're told when to whatever. So as soon as I got out at 18, that was it for me. I knew that I wanted to make my own money and therefore no one could control me. Um, so, you know, boarding school, I would say, was a blessing and a curse because it's it really did shape who I am today. Would I do it to my kids? No. Um, but what I did do is I went straight to work and I built a styling business very, very successfully, um, at the time in my very early twenties and started personal shopping for very rich people who were cash rich and time poor. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but there were a ton of women and men who were in the bank banking world. It was the days of all those giant bonuses and all of that. And they had no time from to 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 shop for their clothes, their home, all of these things, and that's how I built my client base. And then it just grew and grew from there. And you know, I'd be front row of Fashion Week. I'd be taking out a million dollars worth of clothes from Harrods. You know, without like I could just walk out and go to my private clients with them. And it was so much fun. I had a blast, and it there was no overhead. There's no you know, it's only you and somebody else. So it was just a lot of money at the time and a great way to earn. And then what happens is your client, my, well, my clients, 
sort of relied on me for everything. So I turned it into a gifting business online as well, which led to my next business, which I wasn't expecting, which I literally got gifts for, you know, when you go go to birthdays, dinner parties, uh, anniversaries. Well, everybody needs that again. And it's so tedious to do. So I started, I built it from my house, one person, me and my secretary, and we sort of, the boxes started arriving and the gifts starting arriving. And the next thing I know, I turn around, I've got 86 employees, I think it was. And I was, you know, um, uh, the, the founder of Carphone Warehouse wrote to me to invest and Artemis, the largest fund in Europe, invested. They have about $22 billion under management. And that's how that business started. So I believe an entrepreneur is someone that kind of when you're doing what you love, it kind of leads you to something else that you don't really expect which also then led me to being a reality TV star, bizarrely. It's amazing how, do, do you think that your early days in boarding school mm-hmm. had a dramatic effect on you being such a, an entrepreneur that could identify what they want to do? Because you'd essentially been in, locked in the school and you identified everything you didn't want to do. Yes. And also from that experience, I imagine that you get to network opportunities with other wealthy families children as well or is that not Uh, is that is that not such a big thing that wasn't that wasn't how I built my network I mean obviously to be in boarding school in England it's very expensive so it's not for um you know yes you you automatically mix with very wealthy families but I came from there anyway so um you know uh I was I I always I was a debutante I'd always mixed with that kind of group of people so I don't think that necessarily did anything extra for me I never worked with them yeah um my clients were built you know I actually worked with the back end of um American Express fulfilling some of their orders too you know all of these kind of things so the clients just came it's word of mouth I've always always found my clients word of mouth but what boarding school I think did to me is um you are very isolated I suppose and um you know, you you learn to deal with things on your own and you learn to ask yourself a lot of questions. And I'm very, very good at helicoptering myself and looking and being very pragmatic. And as I said, yeah, I learned very early on what I'm what I didn't want in life. And then, you know, I, I learned very early on what I what I wanted, you know, what I wanted to achieve. I, I you know, if I want to go and buy a handbag or I, I wouldn't eat eat for a month, I'd have baked beans, canned baked beans and go buy the bag I wanted. And I was always like that because you know, I didn't care about rich boyfriends because I always made my own money. Couldn't care less. Um, same, you know, with my when I was married, if I picked up a bill before my ex-husband did, I'd pay it. No big deal. And I've always been like that. If I want to go and buy a $10,000 bed, I'll go buy the $10,000 bed. And that's a very nice way to live. So so what did your mum and dad teach you about business? Were, you, were they in business themselves and, 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 yeah. and got on? My parents have always been in business. My my father had a huge fashion brand going up, actually, um, called Alexon. Um, and back in the 80s, I suppose, it was like, it was, you know, the, the, quite the thing. And my mom had a um, store in Bond Street and as well, and um, that she got much later, but she just, she loved doing. So yeah, I've always watched my parents work. My dad retired very early. I think I was about 15 or something. And then when I built my business, he came to work for me for three years, which was a disaster. Mad turnaround, that one. Well, yeah, disaster. Because the trouble is, whenever I used to tell him what to do, he'd just sort of picture me there at six years old with pigtails and then just sort of say, yes, darling. And then I'd come back to the office and he'd done exactly what he wanted anyway. Um, But, you know, yeah. It's not really how you want to run a business. But did you find... 
that having that father that had achieved so much in his life, did you find that that was a good, like, kind of mentor to you in business? Yes and no. Yeah. Because he's very, I hope he doesn't listen to this, very bloody-minded, and we fell out for a long time because I actually had to fire him, Um, which I did, and we didn't speak for two years or a year and a half, yeah. Um, But yes and no was the question because, because he's... He's so bloody minded that obviously he knows best and my business, I know best. And that was very, very difficult. So, you know, in the one hand, I I wanted to bring him out of retirement because, you know, it gave him a whole new lease of life. On the other hand, you know, it ended that it just couldn't work because my, my, my investors said, you know, you need to fire him. And you can't, I suppose, when investors are saying one thing and you're feeling another thing in your heart, you're thinking, oh, I want to keep this this man on. He's my dad. Yeah. You, but, you, but when it comes to money and business, you can't, you can't. get it twisted. There's no, there's no family, uh, friends and family in business, sadly. Not to run a proper business. And, and you know, when, when you've taken public funds, and that's a very different thing, taking family and friends, you know, um, you're you're beholden in a very different way. You know, I, I had public public money i mean you know that's that's a different whole different ball game so i had a board of directors yeah once you on once you get that board you have to report to it yeah. what made you want to raise finance on that business in the first place like what did what what could you see coming down the track that well, perhaps we were doing spending? so well i mean just the styling you know on your own as a young girl i was you know it's doing well over two million pounds a year you know and that i was like okay how do you scale that because there's only one of me you know, so that's where it came from. And then also I had huge ambitions. But, I, you know, looking back, I was greedy. I, I thought I was going to be lying on a private island with my own, you know, I, I wanted to be the next net-a-porter. I wanted to, I wanted everything. I wanted to have this giant machine, which actually sort of was one of the most stressful times of my life. Because any entrepreneur knows once you've taken that money and you've got a board of directors and you've done all of these things... You know, genuinely, you start having to run the business and all the creative side, which I'm a very creative person, goes. It's given to somebody else. They get to do the fun and you have to do all the HR and all the, you know, the financing and all the bits that you don't enjoy anymore. And the joy gets taken from you because you literally then end up working for someone, which was the whole point of me not starting that business on my own in the first place. So I didn't have to report to somebody. When you when you see businesses like Gymshark and when they take on when they take on funds, they, they often see the founder has to step back into like a head of marketing role to get back into that creative yeah. space. They have to bring on another yeah. CEO, director. Is is that something you considered? I wanted very badly for that, but they all insisted that I kept running the company because I had built it. And I think there's a fine line between that because I did build it, but I built it, I have no idea how. I really don't. Um, I built it just because my network is so good um, that, you know, people are loyal to me. They still, those clients from Gift Library are still loyal to me today. Um, and I, you know, my my word is trusted. So if I sell something of high value, so it was a luxury gifting site, and if you're spending £10,000 or I think the most expensive handbag I sold was £150,000, um, you know, you better be sure it's what it says it is, Right. So I have a very good reputation for what I do and people trust me um, for, you know, when I recommend. Because I know, I you know, I think we discussed this earlier. I don't, I can't sell something I don't like. 
yeah no i understand that also we, yeah. we were talking about this before the podcast it's like trying to put trying to have someone else um slap their brand over your name and you not being fully in love with it that's something that yeah. that doesn't align with either of us one thing i want to want to say that you've you, that i feel that you figured out earlier is you you went okay look i'm not going to sell cheap items and try and sell lots of them to cheap people you've gone well I'm going to only serve the the wealthiest of society, essentially mm-hmm. the people the people that have all the money, and I'm going to sell what I want to sell to them for whatever price I want to. Obviously, as a market employee, it's worked out very well for you. But is that something you were acutely aware of? No, I mean, look, I I did some ridiculous things. One man wanted me to make a see through safe to put his gold billion bullion bars in. I mean, a see through safe. I I made tree houses luxury tree houses for children like like that you know any adult would die to live in like I have made done some weird requests um but it just it again it just so happened because my service is a luxury right so obviously Joe Bloggs down the street isn't going to be hiring me because you know they'd rather have food than you know a stylist or or go and buy the luxury item without my fee on top so when I start you know automatically I already had the client that you know would pay that amount you see what I mean so so because you couldn't afford me anyway that's how it built otherwise you know obviously when I did the website I came down and and I did stocking fillers and things like this so you had every um every price point every price point you know you could buy gifts for under 20 pounds or 10 pounds as well and then I went up but when I did bespoke, our bread and butter, big things were, you know, as I said, these crazy, crazy offers. And how impactful has been building that initial network? Because obviously you've taken that network from brand to brand all through your life. You've taken it so far, the same network, building on it, building on that referral basis. So you've essentially built that first bespoke business that's allowed you to carry all these people throughout your everywhere. life. And it's gone everywhere. Because... It carries over. So when I moved to Dubai, I became a luxury brand ambassador for different luxury. So like right now, I, I work with Jacob & Co. The last three years, I was the face of Accor Group, the largest hotel group in the world. Well, there you go. So the clients that are buying those kind of gifts are staying in the hotels I stay in. So if you see me traveling the world now and working with hotels, you know, hotels will want to work with me because the client base that follows me is the client base that will stay there. And can afford to stay yeah, there. and buy the jewellery. And do, you know, so it's it's just a network that has worked for me. And as everybody builds their Instagram, and Instagram's a very interesting tool because it's, um, you know, what do you call it, uh, cl- client to client. I suppose some of it can be B2B. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. B2C, B2C on there as well. But I suppose for what you're using yeah. it for, essentially it can be B2B. You talk, you talk straight to the clients. So, so for me, it doesn't matter whether I'm going on holiday or I'm selling, you know, I, you know, beauty, like since I've had, I mean, for those of you who don't know, we're going to talk about it later, but I had a facelift 18 days ago, but my doctor had 15 consults from me yesterday, 15, because people want what I've just done, which is nuts. See, so you're just saying like there, there's the value in the, there's a few things I want to pick up there, the value in the personal brand that you've built. On. Personal brand is everything. So talk, talk into, talk into that. The personal brand is everything because it does mean, and that's what I always try and teach women, is to not to worry, not to worry about if things don't work out the way you think it's going to go. Because in business, most things don't. 
And um, if you don't learn how to pivot very early on, you're going to be very, very uh, disappointed because life is never a straight trajectory. If you said, I, you know, I was married 18 years, you know, I didn't see myself divorced. I didn't see myself leave, leaving London. I'd never been to the Middle East. Um, I gave up reality TV show, TV after four years, eight years ago. Didn't see myself going back. Now look where I am. Everything I thought wouldn't happen has happened. I now own land in Bali. Never had never never even been to Bali. Um, bought my house in Dubai. You know, I didn't think I was going to be here. This was just a temporary stop. So you know, if I had stopped myself or thought it through and not been able to say, "Well, fuck it, roll with the punch, let's go," then you know, none of this would have happened to me. I married a twenty-four-year-old. I was tw I was tw forty-three when I met him, and he was twenty-four. Like, who does that? How do you deal with the judgment of, of marrying someone so young when you when when you got the whole world's eyes on you? Um, I mean, laugh because loads of people just said that he's going to leave you, and you know, obviously he's a very handsome man, and you know he'll be gone. Well, we're five years in, and you know, my 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 forty-eight-year-old husband could have left me. You know, the man I you know I meet here. Why can't he leave me? Anyone can leave me. Who cares? But if you're fulfilled then it doesn't matter. This is the best of our the, the relationship until he doesn't want to be here. That's okay. You know, you can't chain someone to you for the rest of your life, nor do I want to. He's not happy here. He should go. Yeah, no, no I understand that. So what would your advice be then to, to women out there? Because a lot of women out there potentially are earning money online, but probably in some of the niches that we see with this OnlyFans stuff and all that, they're not really aligning themselves with what I term as the highest value of themselves. Like, what would your advice be there? Am I wrong in my estimation or what, what's what's your views on that? I've looked at only. I mean, I haven't looked at it because I don't I haven't subscribed to it, but I know what OnlyFans is. Um, and I'm actually fascinated by it because I think for some women, I think, wow, because, you know, a lot of women don't have much choice. You're a single mom. You can do that from home. You know, you get to choose what you're comfortable with. But what I did understand is that because you get these adoring fans and, you know, you may get pushed to do something that you're not necessarily as comfortable with, but you kind of like fall for it and then you're stuck and you've done it and you've done it online. Well, there you come, Frankie, with your, you know, content removal. Um, so I'm sure only fans might keep you busy. It, it does, but it, 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 I see I see the negative side effect. I see what I see on the on the weekly is I see women that have made millions and millions of dollars a year but the cost of that is what a lot of people don't see so there's a few there's a few stages to it there's 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 probably only 10 percent of the women that the ones the ones that i see that make really good money out of it others that do it make small money and damage their reputation in 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 the lead up to that for small money i for sure see that once you've done that every other door is going to close well, this is what this is what I wanted you to speak into yeah. because you you started this podcast really talking about personal branding. Yeah. How important it is for women to have this personal brand? How are you teach? How would you teach a woman to curate her personal brand? I think you know self belief and confidence is one of the most powerful thing anyone can hold. And walking into a room and knowing your values straight away. But you know that's easy to say from someone that's had that instilled in me in a very young age, right? That if you come from nowhere. And you haven't got family values behind you and you've had a pretty shit life. I, I completely, you know, I don't want to sit here and say, you know, this is the wrong door for you. And, you know, you've completely damaged your career for the rest of your life. And, you know, you're a horrible person because some people have pushed into doing things 
I think it's a way out for people too, right? But I do believe once you have done something like that, sadly, you can't, it's very hard to turn it around. I've actually interviewed on my podcast and a, a gorgeous, uh, she was a porn star and um, she's been married now, I think 10 years. Absolutely beautiful. Looks like sort of cookie cutter girl next door. And she's turned her her past into something that she she loves. She never denies her past. I suppose if you're going to go into it, you need to sort of stick well, to it. Accept it. Accept it. You can't go back and say, I want to change it, because there's no way to change that. Unfortunately, that is what it is. And then people are always going to judge you for it. So you better, like, get the confidence to say yes and. Because I think once you just come back at people and go and. I love it, which is what she did to me, because I was like, I don't understand. Why would you do this? You you could be a model. Like, what are you doing? I mean, she did full porn. But she's like, because I love it. Absolutely love it. Always have. And I'm married, and I've got kids. And I'm like, okay. And what, what, that just shuts you up. What are you going to say to that? Well, you, got, you, you, you can no longer... I mean, judgment is one of these things that I just wanted people to understand is is, is existing in the world, and you've got to know how to, how to fully handle it yeah, before well, you, you step into it. You have to come back. You have to come back at them. You need to believe that, you know, in yourself. If you believe in yourself and you love your career and you're happy, who who is the person next door to judge? I mean, you know, everyone has an opinion. Everyone has an opinion about my marriage um, and the way I, I'm on reality TV and I don't even have to take my clothes off and everyone wants to judge me every single day. Um, I've been in the public eye and, you know, I came out of reality TV because I was so sick of people talking about behind my back but then I you know my mother said the day they stop talking darling is the day that you're you know that's the day you should worry really so you see your mum supported the reality tv I I would have thought from your mum's side of things and from your dad's side of things they would have been against it that was like business and everything else but the the reality tv we were one of the first back then in England um we no we had a very tough time all of us um but they got used to it because reality tv has given me a huge platform um, you know, the the show that I'm on and the channel I'm on, this is my sixth year on Bravo. And Bravo fans are another level of fan. So they have they have stuck by me. My kids were on TV when they were one. Um, you know, we're only on series two, I think, uh, uh, not think, I know, of Housewives here. But, you know, once it hits here, I think, you know, people are going to get really, really understand it and love it. But, you know, just going to Vegas now, we had 10, 10 to... 15,000 people a day coming to see us all in Vegas. I mean, it's nuts. It's a different type of fan. What's it, what's it done to your bottom line in terms of like your, 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 your revenue and your turnover in your businesses since you've stepped on and put your face out there more? To be honest, um, I don't rely on Housewives for that. Um, Housewives is just a platform to, I guess it gets you a scene. Um, I've only done two years here. I've been eight years off screen, so... The second series isn't even out. So for my business, nothing's happened yet for, for this series because I'm only launching, uh, my husband and I have launched a brand now called um, uh, Bust the Label, which is, you know, basically about, you know, um, not accepting what society tells you is the right way and that we don't fit in a box and that we don't have to conform. And that's what we're doing right now. But again, the show isn't out. So you haven't seen any of it yet, but I hope it will blow it up. I think so. And the podcast will be on it this year. But I blew the podcast up myself in America um, just by well, just by doing what you're doing, talking and get, you know, just keep I keep plodding away at it. And people just luckily loved it. So I've been really, really blessed. The platform is just another one that now 
the, the first series was introducing us, the second series, now you're going to see what I do. So financially, not, not much yet. But you're building, you're, be, you're building a vehicle that allows you to yes. step out of yourself and allows you to step into all these things. And you, yeah. know, and you know from your past with building luxury that this, these things kind of spiral from, from a point. And, yeah. and they get to, you pull back, the, pull back the thing and then it hits the tipping point. I have, I've just launched um, Buster Label, so they haven't had time. But the client, the, the, the person that's been watching me since London, ladies of London, will buy Bust the Label. So I have automatic customers that I know the moment I go like this and they see it in series two, they will start buying. It will happen. Yeah. But I just, you know, we're, we're, we're literally um, doing it now. And then, you know, the, the other business we're doing now is we've just bought, as I said, land in Bali and we're building, um, you know, houses to Airbnb there, which is really exciting. And um, we're growing our own platform like this in the podcast, which we're going to turn into sort of um, women's empowerment because I have, you know, 180,000 women listening to me built in, asking every week questions. So I want to build, a, you know, a platform for them to be heard and to meet other like-minded women. Like-minded women, yeah. And you can join, you can join it all together. Yes. If you were going to give advice then to women and men out there that are looking to, for a starting point, because obviously you've 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 done all these things, but there there, there might be people struggling to this, thinking, well, all right, Caroline, I understand. Where do I start right now? Where 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 would you draw most people back to from your experience of speaking to a lot of people? I hear it all the time. But you're you 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 know you were given this, you were given that. That's not true. Um, everyone starts from the same point. Today, it's not enough just to slap somebody's name on something. It really isn't. The customer is really really bright. Um, just because I am who I am doesn't mean I, you know, I'm going to sell out day one. That doesn't work like that anymore. You have to be cleverer than that. The market is saturated every single which way. So I would say to you, stop feeling sorry for yourself and that you're not as equipped as maybe somebody else. Um, everybody is, there's always a way, you know, I'm, I'm watching Instagram and looking at people who, you know, come from absolutely nothing and they go and get, you know, houses on, on auction sites and then remodel them some, you know, by borrowing money from banks. You know, there are cl so many clever ways or loans or things that you can do today um, to help young entrepreneurs get their foot on the ladder. Um, Dubai has been unbelievable for me and Sergio because, you know, we, we did buy here, luckily, just before it went crazy. But just taking step one take step one you can't get to step two unless you take step one and I think people get you know make a list of why they can't take the first step they don't have the funds they don't have that well there you know there are plenty of investors out there plenty there are investors today with even higher interest rates as well that will just fund something that the bank won't but you know if you get the right project and people believe in you you know you just need one person to believe in you and, you know, I, I started exactly like that. I didn't take money from any of my family or friends. And by the way, I've never invested in one of my own projects. I've always raised it. What? Ever since day one? Ever since day one. So Because I, I feel like I'm the founder and the idea and that someone else should fund it. So break down your thesis on that. Is that something that you do you learn from your dad in terms of in terms of like you know always raise capital to put, because you're bringing the idea or yeah. where did you learn that from? Who taught you that? Um, who taught me that? Other founders. Um, other founders because I said how do you do it and they said you know you automatically get the sweat equity 
Um, and actually, I was going to run it too. So then, you know, you're right. I am working. I, I mean, you know, working, putting it all together, hiring, doing everything else. So you can fund it. Um, you know, you may not necessarily get a huge salary or a salary at all to start with. But, um, you know, hire, getting the money and for a good idea today, there is always money to be found. There really is. People are looking for smart weight places to invest right now. And for a clever person with a bright idea, you can raise it. You may get a million no's and I got sent away many, many times. Um, and it takes one. I suppose it's just as easy to to sell your idea to one person to get capital as it is to try and sell it in the marketplace beforehand and try and bootstrap it anyway. It's just it's the same it's the same scenario. But yeah. what you're saying is, go and get the yes of someone that has the money to fund the thing to the level that you want to get it to, yes. rather than go into the market with it and trying to get it there yourself. No, you know? and I've always said also try you know whatever you think you need double it, <laughs> because the first year. What you're selling the dream is a lot easier than selling the reality. So, you know, a lot of startups run out of money very faster than they think. And, you know, if it's not working year one, you know, it's very hard to then go back and go, I need some more money because people are like, oh, you know. But when you've got the dream and you, you've got the, the gift of the gab, over-raise at the beginning. Over-raise by what percentage would you say? Well, I mean, I always say that a small business is probably two to three months uh, money of going before they go, you know, can go under any small business always only has three, maybe three months of reserve in the, yeah. in the bank. Um, so I, you know, I would say that well, I said double it. So like, if you can, oh, do you mean give away shares though? No, what I mean is like how, how much more, say, say I think I need 1 million to, to, to float myself for 12 yeah, months. Take another, high, take another half a million to 2 million. Yeah. Double it if you can. If not, go to 1.5 because, you know, nothing ever goes on budget and nothing happens at the speed you think. And so then, you know, by the time you realize that you're running out of money, you, it's going to take you longer to re-raise because you're running out of money. And that's when people know you're desperate because you're running out of money so they can get a better deal and eat your shares. And that's when you're royally screwed. So really over-finance in the beginning because that gives you wiggle room if it does go wrong or you and you can say you planned for this and this is you know where you were going to refinance you really don't want to refinance in the first year or second year if you can because that's where you know you're going through all the teething problems is your view to always maintain 51% no i i didn't um it's not it's not really if you're going out to um you know funds and people like that then that's not always possible because you know i i ended up raising over five some five and a half million or six million pounds i think there's no way um you can do that but you know if you're in a big business turning over a lot of money you know just maintaining i don't know 15 or 20 percent of the company is great um most people do you know how do you stop yourself from getting the hostile takeover though done to you when 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 the board's not happy because people can put their shares together and, and things can happen like that? When you're going down to equity of fifteen twenty percent, I mean, well, you can't really. But you, well, you, I mean, you you can't. But you've got to if you're doing your job, they're not really going to do that to you. Um, and the founder is very important to the idea. Um, you know, people can come in and think they can run your business better than you could do. 
Um, and that's definitely happened to me when you and when you've got huge, huge men taking um, a look at the business and, you know, you get excited, you kind of like feel like they may know better than you, but actually um, they don't because you built that business and because you've built it from the ground up and you understand the customer. I built that business so no one knew it like I did and I should have listened. And that's where this inner voice has to come in and you need to understand because you know, when you have hostile take takeovers and you have um, things that go wrong, and I did at the end, um, not a takeover, but, you know, my investors didn't love each other and it just went a bit horribly wrong. Anyway, long story short, at the end, this is after about, I think it was 10 years of running this company, or eight, terrible memory, I'm called the goldfish, um, probably blocked it too. But I had eight years of a law case after that um, with a civil liquidator, not not investors, Um but you need to learn. There are one valuable thing I will say. Um, I, I w- is I had director's insurance. Make sure you're fully, fully covered and you're insured for things like this. Because once a business is public and and it's been and if a liquidator moves in, you know it becomes the government takes over and then it becomes a very, very, very mess- messy situation. You need to be able to to. Um, hold your own and know that you know I think my case was over one and a half million pounds um, and so I won everything by the way thank you um, but it cost you one and a half million pounds yeah and eight years of my life which is a lot which is a hell of a lot of stress and anguish yep. and dealing with all that stuff yep but that's that's what a business is and you need to be very 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 sure and that's why there's, it's a real it's a machine and that's what I say there's a tipping point be careful what you wish for do you think then a lot of women want the thought of being an entrepreneur rather than the actual truth of being an entrepreneur? Thousand percent. I think it sounds really glamorous, and the few women that do make it make it look really glamorous, and it is not. And I I would urge women to really think. You know, homegrown businesses are wonderful because as long as you can, if you don't need to, um. So so th- this is a business that I wanted to make huge, right? Looking back now, the homegrown business that I'm doing with my husband and building in Bali and all of that I I've gone into business and well he's gone into business not with me but um with my best friend who I've known since I was 16 years old they're doing Bali and he's a builder um he did the spelling mansion he's one of the biggest you know um luxury builders in America he's amazing so they're doing Bali and we know each other inside out um and then the homegrown business we're doing slowly, slowly. I'm not in a rush. Um, but I do know that, you know, some people, are, you know, you need a salary. So, you know, again, it's it's where you are in life by the time you start, start to, to put it into place, right? I'm in a very fortunate situation that I can start slowly now. I've built myself where we're comfortable and we're doing okay. But, you know. Quick one for you guys. This podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com. As many of you are probably aware I set up contentremoval.com in 2017 to help people remove all forms of online content. And I've looked after some of the biggest names and brands in the world doing it. And I would love to help you if you're struggling. If you're struggling to remove images, videos, search results, fake accounts, or anything online, go to contentremoval.com and we'll help you today. I see you smashing life from the from the outside. From, from me looking at you, I'm like, you know, Caroline's smashing life. She's doing all this, that, and the other. What advice would you actually give me then? Because and I'm sure a lot of people on that feel this, that are listening to this, it's like, I always feel I'm way behind. 
I'm not going out there comparing myself to other podcasts and other people. And, That's and trying, imposter syndrome. Trying to look, yeah. But why do why why do why do myself and other people feel like they're behind the eight ball? Well, that's that we're all naturally um, conditioned to do that. I looked at your podcast and was like, "Wow, look at him!" Because I I don't know how to do YouTube, but apparently that you you know you're you and I've been sat here and I'm giving you advice on what to do the other side and you know with hosting and you're giving me advice on how to do the YouTube. I you know I think we can all learn from each other. I don't um, have I'm not somebody that takes my wisdom in you know I'm 47. You're early 30s, right? I mean, 35. Yeah. yeah, I've got some years. Hard life. I've got some years on you. Um, and, you know, I think that's why I ended up marrying him. I've got some years on him. Um, so people listen. But, you know, I can give you my hindsight. doesn't mean I'm not the most successful woman on the planet, but I've figured out a few things along the way. I've been up and I've been really down. You know, I think that when I was when I was in the eight-year law case, I wanted to stop working completely because I was like, what the fuck? Every time I make money, I have to give it to a lawyer. So why am I earning anything? How have you managed though? Because obviously, business is a is a is a very masculine place in terms of like you know it's 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 a masculine energy you need to have as a woman. You kind of develop a harder face to be able I'm, to to do this battle. So how so how how are you how are you feminizing yourself on the other side of it to to kind of balance it up? I always say there's got a very famous line from one of my shows, which was the should have been balls, not boobs. And um, I've always taken control. I definitely wear the pants. Um, I run everything in the house. I like to be control of everything. I don't know if that's good or bad. Luckily, I found a man, and maybe that's his youth, that he's okay with that because he enjoys that in me. So he'll ask me questions. He doesn't see me as a threat. We're not in competition. And he genuinely wants to learn from me, right? Um, a lot of men wouldn't like that. I don't know. I've all. I, I would have been on my own, I guess, because I've always been like that. And I enjoy. I enjoy the hustle. And I've always worked with men. Always worked with men because you know, doing what I was doing in tech back in that in those days, there were very few females doing it. Um, the size that I was. I think. I think. I think what I've learned from interviewing many entrepreneurial women like you that are absolutely smashed it in life is that. On me as as a man, because I'm trying to go out there and win at life myself and trying to do it, I'd feel like we were in competition. So I think yes. so maybe I so I've learned that I would need a more submissive um, back seat partner yeah. rather than a front seat driving. Because yes. otherwise we're going to be butting heads. And you kind of the reason I say that is because not to not to downtrod down tread what you're what you're doing. It's like you've identified what you need as a as a back end partner and I've had to identify what I need and I want this audience to identify what they need because I feel like a lot of people are going, I'm an entrepreneur, so I want to date an entrepreneur and I don't think that like a true blooded entrepreneur that works sometimes because you because you're both trying to build this massive startup and you butt heads. Yeah, because it's like when Sergio came, um he'd just come out of being a professional footballer and he was at that point only twenty four years old and he was quite lost of what he wanted to do, which he would happily tell you, and he didn't know which way to go, left or right. So by then, he was fully okay to get on the Caroline Stanbury train. And I said, you know, this is quite a sort of selfish train to be on. Like, do you really want to do this? Can you do do this? And he's he's done it really well. He gets on. He shines when he has to, but he's just as happy to make me shine because it benefits us. Yeah, you know, so if if I get millions of views and we do this, you know, and he's sitting behind the camera now, you know, this this benefits our family, and we we have the same the same um, goals, which is we're 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 a team, right? So you know, one doesn't work without the other, does it? 
So how have you aligned your non-negotiables on what you would accept in a partner with all the lessons and learnings you had from your first relationship? Don't care about money. Don't care about direction. You have to have, um, you can't be lazy. You have to have uh, goals and you have to get up and work with me. I don't mind running everything and doing everything, but I need somebody, you know, that will back me and do all that with me. I couldn't bear to have someone with no direction. I think that's the biggest thing. But I also think that um, women put too much importance on finding rich men here or men that are already established because I do feel like, you know, somebody that you can grow with and build with um, or, you know, if the right woman came in and supported you, you know, of course, everybody gets lost in life. You know, it would be, and, and, and what you were saying is like looking around and feeling like everyone else is winning. You know, people are looking at you, Frankie, and thinking that you're winning right now. And success isn't measured, well, not by me, by how much money is in your bank account. Because, you know, as I said, I've been up and I've been down. Like money doesn't, you know, hold that much importance to me because somehow it comes. It always comes. But um, what I do know is what I've built, I have a beautiful, happy family. I have a husband that adores me. I have, you know, bought land in Bali. I'm building a beautiful brand. I've got a podcast that people are listening to. This is, that's success for me. I don't, don't care about it. You're being grateful for what you have. So grateful. Yeah. So grateful. And I'm 47 years old, you know, as a woman. Um, I, and I'm only just starting. I love that. I love that. What, what? makes you think that you're only just starting what's what's buzzing you about this next 12 months that i perhaps haven't touched on yet oh the building the new brand with my husband because he's so excited about it as well um you know just to get into sort of the, the, the most fun start place to be is at the beginning of a startup because once it gets bigger and bigger and becomes a machine and there is a tipping point in any business where suddenly you're not struggling and it just falls over the cliff and you you just runs and then this machine is you know, a hockey stick yeah taken over this is the most fun you'll ever have and it's so funny because entrepreneurs don't realize that that the struggle at the beginning is the best days um and then you know doing something that scares me as well so you know housewives here was very scary to do because i didn't know any of these women um well and you know it's a different place and would they like me it's like going back to school and you know i was an I had done it before, so automatically I have a target on my back. Um, and then I guess the biggest thing is, you know, this Bali thing. Like, literally. Well, how did you invest in Bali? My husband. My husband. And literally, and I can't even tell you how my, my best friend came into it. Overnight, I literally, we wanted one partner. And within one of our partners had dropped out. And we were like, Shit. And um, I just picked up the phone to him in LA and said, do you want to do this with me? He's, he said, yes, within three hours, he'd wired the money. He hasn't even seen the land. So, but let's, let's just strip that back because I want people to understand. Mm-hmm. So, you're, so you're building villas in Bali mm-hmm. to, to what, do Airbnb? Airbnb. Airbnb. Never done an Airbnb in my life, by the way. I don't think I've stayed one either. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of people are told to stay in their lane, do this, and the other. What made you pivot out of your lane to, to go into this investment? Okay, the next thing is I'm a, you know, I, I love to earn, but I'm also a massive spender. I love, I love to spend. I believe money's to be spent and to, you know, I have a beautiful home. I love, I've got three teenage children. So like, you know, keeping money in the bank for me is like almost impossible. Um, so, you know, I was thinking about my old age. What am I going to do? How am I going to have a pension or something that I want to keep me later? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? 
And actually, the life in Bali is great. And I was like, okay, well, those villas can fund me for the rest of my life. So there's my retirement plan, I guess. When I was looking into Bali's in villa, apparently you can only rent the buy the rental of the land for thirty years or something. Thirty four. Yeah. So is that is that what you're doing? So, so yeah. you've you lease it for right. thirty four years and then you can renegotiate, which most of them you can renegotiate for another thirty years and by then I I'll probably be gone. But you've calculated that you can make hundreds of thousands per year out of each unit, each dwelling. Yes. So so like yeah, it's gonna vastly way. pay for itself yeah. over over yeah, 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 time. Exactly. And what kind of level of of place are you going for? Are you going for like the four or the, or the five star or the six no, star or what? No, Bali doesn't want that. Huh? No, like even when we go, we we go to all these gorgeous like um like I mean, Instagramable hut things. It's fun. It's like the one thing I love about Bali is I think here, you know, but uh, at Dubai you have to be um dressed to the nines, covered in jewelry for anyone to take you seriously and like all of that. In Bali, you take, there's no makeup, you know, we're, we're on mopeds going around and it, you feel like teenagers again. Um, that's actually where Sergio and I connect the most is like when we don't have any of the bullshit. When you strip it all back. back and it, yeah. yeah. And I think people, a lot of people are scared to do that and don't strip their lives back ever. I'm just as happy there as I am here. And as soon as, you know, all of this is done, that's the kind of life I want. I want to be on a beach. This space in Dubai that you have now, do you see that being your your home for like 10 years, 20 years? Or do you see it as a moment in time before you go back to London or before you go anywhere? I don't know. You, Everything happened so quickly and by accident. You know, again, like I was away when these houses came on. And I, there's a, any, anyone who doesn't know right now, but Dubai has blown up since COVID and then um, the war, obviously. A lot of Russians have moved in. And the housing market has gone bananas. Um, and we got in off plan. So anyone that's bought off plan has done really, really well. And we were just so lucky. So, I'll, I, you know, the house is gorgeous. How long I'll be here, I I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I'm somebody that if I get the right offer tomorrow, I, I would walk straight out with my, my suitcase. What's the benefits of Dubai been for you? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people here that are thinking about moving to Dubai. They, they don't know whether to do it. But for you, what's been your main benefit for you? Uh, safety with the children is, I mean, you can't pay for that. You can't pay for the way we leave, live. We still live here with our windows open, you know, and, and your jewellery out. It's nuts. Nowhere else in the world you can live like that. Um, opportunity. Dubai is like just starting. It's only, what, 50 years old now? Nothing. You know, there's opportunity for everyone. Do you, do you think the golden era is not already gone? No just starting it's going to get with with what's happening in the world right now dubai is probably one of the safest places on the planet to be but, but obviously look people say there's no tax here but obviously they're bringing in a tax yeah. next year which is which is the nine percent um they're also um is there's there's also a little bit of a tax because at the end of the day you're paying more for everything else uh, you know so well are you i've just been in uh america in la i mean it's expensive, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, Dubai is not the cheapest place to live, and in the last eight years since I've been here, a lot has changed. Um, but it's still not the most expensive, and I don't think they're going to make it crazy here because they'd lose so many people. People are moving here because of that, and they know it. They're not that you know. Dubai's been very smart on how they've got people here, and that is it nine percent. I thought it was five. I think it's nine. I think it's nine percent. Yeah, I really. I, 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 this, this, this is this is the problem with Dubai for me is is the fact of like you. So you you think it's five. I think it's nine. 
I changes daily, it, and you it, don't. It, yeah, change, the, the, pro, the this is the other side of the buy that people don't see. It's like be, because they're bringing in some form of tax next year, whether it's five, whether it's nine. Okay, we we can we, we're not going to split heads on that, but nobody knows what the tax code's going to do. How how you got to be moving and stuff. We got to file this. We got to file that. But in essence, what I'm saying is. Sometimes it's easier just to stay put for a year and figure out what Dubai is doing and then come in afterwards when you know where it's going rather than me and you're in the midst of all this accounting stuff right now and we're trying to figure it out, right? Well, you're not stuck. I always say you're not a tree. If you don't like it, you can move. Yeah. But you need to, like, wherever you go, no place is perfect. I mean, look at the state taxes in America. It's insane. And now mansion tax and everything else. Everyone's leaving when droves. You know, you have to pick a you have to pick a lane, Frankie. You can't just stay on a plane for the rest of your life either. So it's yeah, no, 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 no. I, you know, I mean, I'm 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 a resident here, so like yeah. this, this is in terms of my residence. My residence is here. I'm just saying for everyone listening before they go and pick their tree up to move it, yeah. I would just like to know. You're never going to get that. That is the one thing about a country like this, where you know they can just wake up in the morning and change it. That's just it. But if you don't like it, we're all free to leave. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, again, there's no guarantee with anything or anyone. And I always say that. So, like, if you're looking for safety and you're looking for a cotton wool li- ball life, yeah. you know, then you're never going to go anywhere. The, 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 mo- the most collaborative place I've been in the world is Dubai. Like, yeah. you can literally come here and you could do 10 podcasts in a week because it is collaborative. Whereas I've not found anywhere as collaborative as that in the UK or America even in Australia, like it's not, it's not as clever. So people come here with it and they want to hustle. So you can get people on you, what you want to do podcasts. I want to do podcasts. People just come to you, don't they? And you can do it from one location. So I think as a benefit from a networking perspective alone, I think everyone should spend two, three, four months here just to see the network and opportunities that are available. Well, everybody passes through Dubai. And that's the great thing about Dubai, because I mean, I remember when I moved and I didn't know anyone and everyone was like, oh, my God, what are you going to do? You know, you don't know anyone there. I mean, like, I couldn't get people out of my house. Everybody came. Everybody came. I had to shut my guest room and say it was closed off for, for guests because, you know, everybody wanted to come on holiday here. So actually, everyone passes through Dubai, whether it's on the way to somebody somewhere else or just for a holiday, people come. And it's the best children's holiday, too. So families, friends, single Single guys come for the girls. You know, it's a crazy place. It, it, it is. And you can live at both ends of the spectrum, I might add, in Dubai. Mm-hmm. You can live the five-palm yep. lifestyle if you want to do that. Yep. Or you can live... If the- like I do, in outside in, in a, you know, gated community, which is like, you know, half an hour away from town. And I live in a green oasis, by the way, in the desert. You know, mm. it's nuts. On yep. a river. I, w- I want to see this part of Dubai because I've not seen that part of come Dubai yet. Come visit me. Because I want that is something, won't believe it yeah this is something that interests me because I, I one of the things that i miss the most when i'm in dubai is is nature and greenery and i i like the certain parts of england i just i just love and there's certain parts of australia that i just love and i'm just, i long for it you know i grew up in dorset so you know i'm with you i i need to oh i can't live in a city i need to open the window and see a tree i just do so i live in somewhere that's very very green and i would love to show you yeah, I'm, we're going to see it after uh, the podcast. Hopefully, you can show me pictures and, and yeah. I can see how that's going. You've just had one of the most invasive procedures, and you showed me the pictures before this podcast. It made me laugh. I you, can't. You, you, you've <laughs> had this face. I can't believe you're even here. You've had this face at 19 days before this podcast. And when I saw the picture, when you showed me the pictures, I was like, that is mental how you're even here today with 
the amount you got to do. What makes what made you want to put yourself through that much trauma? Well, first of all, let me just say for anyone out there, I'm a bit of an idiot. It's like anything. I'd never ask questions. And people lie to you. So it's like giving birth and people go, oh, it's, not, it's really not that bad. And lots of women have facelifts. It's just nobody talks about it. And, you know, facelift, when you say it, just sounds so fast and like, oh, I'm just going to have a facelift. Well, I don't even know what that means. Do you? No. I, I'm trying to understand. This is why I'm, I'm asking you. Well, that's I, 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 mean. I want to understand. I, well, that's, uh, the, so that's the understanding I went into. I had a 10-minute consult with one doctor who I'd seen what he'd done to a girlfriend of mine. I hadn't seen the in-between, but she looks bloody amazing. And she... Um, is on TV, Kat Sadler. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's huge. She was on the entertainment. She did all the Oscars and things like this. And yeah. I figured that if Kat chose him, she can choose anyone. And there are like, like much bigger names than my doctor, but I feel like I want, I didn't want to be them to be the celebrity doctor. I want someone to really care. Anyway, I went in for 10 minutes and I was so busy because I was at BravoCon and then I had to fly to New York and I got, I landed back in LA at 1 a.m. and I went into the, to the, to the clinic at 6 a.m. And I thought I was having a mini facelift because I don't know about how many women, but we all stand there and sort of pull our skin back and go, just want a little bit of this, right? Like, you know, millimeters, you don't think about it. And that's what I thought he was doing. Um, more for me. Anyway, I came out looking like I'd done 10 rounds with Tyson, no joke. And my husband, who's only now 29, you know, can't even imagine what he went through. Um, anyway, cut to, you, you do, you have, you go through three days of thinking what, and what have I done? Like I, you know, I was a pretty girl before I looked like a disaster. And is this going to be, <laughs> be me for the rest of my life? No, you know, like, is it going to be me? But after day five and to day 10, and I'm now day 19, you turn a corner. I'm still very tight. This isn't, you know, my mouth isn't natural yet, but it will drop. It will, um. You know, it will settle. Yeah. But it's bloody amazing. I don't have a wrinkle on me. I look younger than you now. Yeah, my neck. Yeah, it's, it's, my eyes. Those can you see the incision yeah. there? And I can't tell you how many women have reached out what's, since I've done it. What's the cost of doing that? Can we talk um, about it? They start at about $50,000 yeah. and go up and up and up. And and obviously, even though you've been through all the the trauma of it you would say for you it's it's an investment in your future and how you feel about yourself another 10-15 years on tv also like a lot of women saying that late i mean i looked good still and i could hide it really well with a good hairdresser just yanks up my hair and that was an automatic facelift and does makeup but you know i couldn't do it on my own um and i wanted to look like that all the time what does it do for you well i think it makes you less invisible I think a lot of older women feel, you know, they walk into the room and feel, I, I've never suffered with that, but I just have all feeling like that. I mean, I'm sure people have ignored me, but I just, you know, I've got a good, powerful ego where I feel like, you know, you're lucky to be in the room with me too. Is, is, that, is that kind of the internal conversation that goes through women's mind that you don't feel like you can be seen unless you look younger, prettier, hotter? A lot of women. I see that a lot. I didn't do it because of that. I did it for me just because... I feel like I don't feel my age. I don't feel 48. So, I, you know, I had 48 in April. I don't feel, didn't feel that that was the woman looking back. And just in the morning, you know, not, during the day, 
I, I looked fine. But when you wake up, everything sort of dropped. And I just wanted to give myself a zhuzh. Had I known the zhuzh was that, <laughs> I may not zhuzh. have done it. Yes, I Hello. thought I was going for a zhuzh. Um, that was a face-off. But now I'm over the moon. And I know it's going to be, it's only going to get better. This is 19 days. You know, in the next three months, next time you see me, you'll be like, oh, look, look, she, look how good she looks. Sergio said to me off podcast that he, he reckons the relationship's got another at least another 15, 20 yeah. years now. <laughs> exactly. Because <'cause, laughs> yeah. because this little zhuzh that you've gone through. But no, it's, it's, it's quite... I'm too, I'm too young for Sergio now. Sergio likes older women. That's yeah, the other yeah, thing. Yeah, so yeah. no, he, 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 he was horrified. He's like, where are your wrinkles? Yeah, no, but it's, it's amazing that um, as a man, you don't often understand the, the, the lengths a woman will go to in order to feel oh, men her best. Men do this. Have, yeah, I know, but to feel her best self. Yeah. To, you know, you, everyone, that's what I'm saying. Everyone, everyone should feel their best self. It shouldn't be a man or woman thing. You know, I believe that everyone, men, men this is the highest rate of male suicide ever this year. Did you know that? Yeah. I mean, men need a good kick and help more than women we found our you know in a in a confidence and securities and it's always what i don't like is it's always sort of lent that we are sort of men and men just automatically have it if you know what i mean yeah, yeah lots yeah. of men suffer yeah and you know women because we have taken such a strong role have you know beaten men down into a place where they don't really know where they belong anymore and so i actually think that men need a not a bit of a hug but a bit of a like you know, zhuzh. Zhuzh too. Not, not just the way they look, but the way they feel. I think yeah. this is for everybody. If you don't feel good about yourself or there's something that you personally want to change, this is not because I have a 20, yeah. you know, 20 something year old husband at all. I got my husband before, Yeah, you know, and he begged me not to do it. So this has got nothing to do with feeling not enough for my husband, you know. This is this is your internal conversation with yeah. myself, yeah. and you, and I, I, I suppose you sat with yourself long enough to understand why you truly wanted to do it. Yeah, because I felt like I look better, feel better in myself, and that which gives me I can walk into a room and I'm I'm on TV, so everything is you know there is there is there, there is always, as soon as you put a camera on someone's face, there is a pressure. There's, there's something you have got to step into. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, as a as a man at 35, I'm I'm now running all my all my blood tests. I'm running my genetic tests. I'm seeing what's going on in my body, where I need to improve, and all that mm -hmm. stuff from a biological level internally to make externally even better. And I'm doing that at 35 years old. I was never doing. I wasn't doing that three, even three or four years ago. So it's like you know, you need to know what's going on and so how you, you feel, so you can function. Because at the end of the day, I figured that if I can get another one, two, five percent out of the body in this regard, this regard, this regard, it's like you know, even even now, I'm, I'm due to fly back to the UK tomorrow, and I've said to myself, you know, the most important thing to get right over this next four to eight weeks is back in the boxing gym, back, back, back. On the health road, back eating right, you know, which I which I felt for all the travelling, living out of suitcases, I haven't been doing right. So, I think we I, I think we all we all need these these things, whatever that is to you, to get you make sure you're in alignment and fully checked and all that kind of stuff, so you feel your best self, so you can put your best foot forward. I think lifestyle and routine. If I can tell people, men and women, routine, and I especially men actually, I think men really need it to be able to perform like you know we we've been out of a, a bag for the last month and which meant no gym I mean I can't do the gym now anyway but you know we get up now at 6 a.m go for a walk even if because I, I, I can't lift or do things like that right now but you know just getting the air just mm -hmm. to be able to clarify you know clarity 
in the morning, getting your coffee, your your walk, grounding your feet, um, getting sun on your face. Don't underestimate that. You know, if you're in an apartment, stick your head out the bloody window. It's just air, real air. I think people need to breathe it in and just, you know, not be so hard on themselves. People ask me all the time in the DMs, Frankie, how can I find my purpose? Right? It's, I'm sure you get that all the time. People, us, people, you're saying that you know a lot of men are walking around without purpose. A lot of women are too. What would your advice be to for the people to you know strategize a way to find what their purpose might be now? Oddly, vision boards. Vision boards aren't a magic piece of paper. They put everything down. You know, which we've all, you know, sort of felt like manifestation and and uh, vision boards, which I used to think was complete hocus pocus. It's not It's not saying that if I put all my pictures on there, that, you know, it's, it's automatically going to happen for me in the next week. That's not true, obviously. A vision board is your purpose, right? Because as you're putting it down, it kind of, you kind of see where you want to go um, just by default, because it's just visual. We're visual people, we're visual beings. I need to write things down. I still, I don't do anything on a computer and I don't do anything in my phone because I need a notebook. I'm old school. So yeah, yeah. if I see it, I can understand it and then, you know, see where it's going. You do the little circles or a whiteboard. Purpose, well, what makes you happy anymore? You know, I knew that although I got to where I wanted with that huge business and I, you know, I wanted, I know that I put my face on the side of buses, London buses. I I wanted everyone to go, oh my God, look what Caroline Stanbury built. Did it make me happy? And was it my purpose? No, no. I was burnt out and miserable in the end. What's my purpose now? This, everything I'm doing is on a much smaller scale and I never thought I'd be happy like this. You know, I am the happiest I've ever been because I'm in control. My purpose is my family and my husband. There's, you know, no no one else really. Um, and and you know, my purpose now is to create the dream life that we want when all of this rubbish is over. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on every level of yeah. level of the game, and I, I I see that clarity, and I want people that listen to this to get that out of what you've just said there. You know, just. You have a choice, a, a, a canvas, basically, you've presented. You can take today a board, a blank canvas, and start to and start to figure out, put things on the board, and then take them off the, if they don't yes. align with you after a four, four yes. days. Cross off the things that you don't want anymore. So, as I said, I, a vision board is not a magic wand. It is just something to focus on so that you can see the things that you really want and you can be ridiculous if you've always wanted your Porsche or a crazy car or whatever. Put it on there. It's fine. It's not, you know, don't worry about what other people think. Um, you know, but like eventually when you're getting there, you might say, you know what? I don't want the Porsche anymore. I want to go and buy land in Bali, you know, and, and those kind of things. It's, it's quite powerful to see it all down and to see what, what you want your life to actually look like. Do you want a house with like a white picket fence and three kids? Or do you want like this amazing life on an island somewhere? Or do you want an amazing life in New York? I don't know. Whatever suits you and how the steps to get there. And when, and when, you, and when you lay it all out and you see it on yeah. a visual board, you, you actually get to feel into how that life would feel for you and then decide whether that's actually the feeling that you want to create in the yes. first place ahead of time. Hundred percent. That is a vision board. Yeah, I mean that's what it is to me. And is you, and then how long have you been doing that for? Um, since I moved to, to Dubai, because 
I always, I think I've manifested everything in my life. I actually manifested Sergio and I manifested this house. And I can't tell you how this house happened to me because it was a very bizarre story. But anyway, the fact is, the only reason I'm saying it is because I saw a glass house, fully glass house. And there weren't, back in the days that I lived here, there weren't very modern houses like that. And I thought that was in LA with this, you know, guy and it's all here. And I manifested this house manifested the house I manifested the life and I knew I wanted that life I always used to watch those American movies and how it was going to look and I had this white glass house with a hot husband that cooked for you and here he is and you know and my my kids and you know it's like this picture perfect like American life and I've created it for myself you know and there are things now that I, I used to like love buying you know ridiculous handbags and all of these things all the time now I'm thinking about what that handbag would buy me in Bali, would that buy me another, you know, if I put it towards my, you know, our villas. And I'm thinking about that's where I'm going to end up when I'm, you know, it's 60, if the, you know, and, and what that life looks like. And it's really, really, you know, really fun to do. And luckily my husband is on the same train as me. We both want the same ending, which is amazing. Yeah, and I think by you laying that out from day one and just seeing if it fits your narrative, you've allowed yourself to feel it before it's happened yeah. to make sure it's right. And I think yeah. that's essentially what most people out there probably aren't doing. So get on those vision boards and get planned and see how you want your life to look. And and take the people with you that you want, by the way. So the business partner that fell into my lap, and I told you I've known him since I was 16, that was by mistake. But, you know, when, when I called him and he sent the money, he goes, oh, see, I always knew we would end up together. Wow. And we're going together with his wife and his kids. Isn't that nice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of like a full circle. Full circle. circle, Like, you know, that's where I'm going to end up, with him. Yeah. It's mental when you you break it down and step back out of it. It's crazy. Yeah. And you'll start seeing things like that happen, by the way, all the time as you build it, that you'll be like, I knew, you know, I didn't know, like, I mean, obviously, who wants to end up on an island by themselves? Not. But if you create it, they will come. And, you know, now now I know I've got him and that his family and his kids and my kids. And I know that, you know, my girlfriend's like, oh, I'll come, you know. And you can you can take your own, com- yeah. own community of people to yes. a place that you want to settle in. And that's kind, yeah. of, that's kind of the vibe. Know, as I said, what did I learn in life in boarding school? I know what I don't want. And that's actually very powerful. I don't want my grandmother died in a nursing home in England by herself. I don't want that. I absolutely don't want that. So, like, I, you know. What does old age look for us? You know, I'm. How, how does that work for us all these days? Well, maybe you build a community of your friends, and then I won't be alone. It's, it's it's something really powerful to consider by looking at what other people are doing and saying, "Well, I don't want that for myself, so maybe I'll pivot here and do something different so that I don't have that for myself." Yeah. If I had, if you were checking out of the world tomorrow, Carolina, and you had to, you couldn't leave anything else behind, but you could just leave some pearls of wisdom. For all of this audience that is going to move them forward at least one percent in their daily life from today what would that be to you well i guess we've just said it go do your vision board because that will give you the clarity and then take your first step because you know so many people come up with excuses why they can't take that first step and if you if you don't take it you'll never move and you'll never grow i still have friends at school that are still in exactly the same house in the same clothes where i left them and they look at me like an alien. And I, there's, there's nothing that I have achieved that you can't achieve. There's nothing. There really isn't. I, I, I you know, I, there's nothing special about me. I grew up in Dorset and went to, you know, boarding school. That's it. There's, you know, there's a million of me. 
So that's, so essentially, guys, you've got a canvas. It's up to you how you paint the canvas. Yeah. But at least today, start to figure out this vision for yourself and see what aligns and see what you vibe with. And I think and follow your gut. Yeah. Don't let anyone. My gut has never led me wrong, and don't let anyone sort of pull you off that because you know you always know. You always know. Guys, do me a solid favor. Like and subscribe on every platform to this podcast. I hope this podcast with Caroline has hit your ears at the right time. And I hope you go and get this vision for yourself and for your life and how you want to move from this day forward sorted for you. And I appreciate every single one of you listening to this. Much love. Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.